Amen. So as we come to the close of the season of Epiphany and come to this day of transfiguration, our scripture brings us to the top of a high mountain with Jesus and Peter and James and John and Elijah and Moses, all of us together. Here is the story of what happens. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white, white as the light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came to them and touched them, saying, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word. Christ among us. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the brilliant light of your word and your love for us kindle in us love for you, for each other, and for all of creation. Amen. This is a strange story. The disciples are traveling along with Jesus as Jesus teaches and feeds the crowds and argues with the Pharisees the things that Jesus does. And then one day, Jesus takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a high mountain. And Jesus is transfigured there. It's the Greek word for metamorphosis. He is changed. His face begins to shine like the sun. His clothes become a dazzling white. In the Greek, it's white like the light. It's as if Jesus is lit up from within, and then suddenly they see Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Jesus and Moses and Elijah having a conversation. And then a bright cloud overshadows them, and a voice out of the cloud says, This is my son, the beloved one. Listen to him. The disciples fall to the ground terrified, and when they look up, all the bright lights are gone. The dazzling cloud, Moses and Elijah, and the voice, all gone. Just Jesus himself alone. And as they walk down the mountain together, after all this, Jesus says, Now don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It is a strange story. And it makes you wonder, why this story? 
of all the stories they could have told, why this one, with its bright blinding lights, its visions of prophets, its heavenly voices, why did they write this story down? You know, especially in those first few days and then months after resurrection, the disciples, the early Christians, must have been unpacking a lot. So much had happened. They'd experienced the whole life of Jesus with Jesus, Jesus in their midst, but not for long, or or at least not for long enough. Jesus was among them, teaching and healing with urgency, almost as if he knew he was running out of time. And then, then they experienced the trauma of crucifixion. Jesus was tried, tortured, and then publicly executed. And then three days later, they experienced him again in resurrection. And then they experienced the spirit of Christ at Pentecost with tongues as of fire and a mighty wind and everyone speaking in languages not their own, but yet understanding each other. And then as they moved out from there into the world, they found Jesus's words in their voice. His healing touch in their hands. Each experience of Jesus was an epiphany, an experience of God made manifest in the midst of us. Each was an experience of wonder, and epiphanies take some time to unpack. One writer says epiphanies are rarely confined to the moment of their original occurrence. They're just too big. By their very extraordinary nature, they require significant time for contemplation. They shared these epiphanies, these moments of wonder, as they tried to figure out together how to live in the world without Jesus bodily in their midst. And so they told these stories to each other again and again over the years, and then they wrote them down. Do you remember the time when we were on the high mountain and Jesus' face shone like the sun, Moses, Elijah, that voice, and then Jesus himself alone? That experience of wonder carried and then handed down over the years and the centuries and the millennia to us. In the life of the church, transfiguration culminates the season of epiphany as we tell our stories of wonder. God made manifest in the midst of us. And think about our own epiphany journey these last eight weeks. We started out with the Magi and the camel who was found today, just after Christmas. They saw a star in the sky and they followed it, not sure where where they were headed. And we followed our curiosity into the new year, looking for just enough light for the next step. Then even as we were looking for the next step, we also thought about generations and the expanse of time and ancestors. And we placed our life, our work in a 200 year present from the oldest person who held us when we were infants through the lives of the infants we hold now. Our lives have been held and will touch 200 years of life. And as we considered these experiences of God in the midst of us, big and small, we also entered into the big issues of our day, issues and challenges so much bigger than us. American structural racism still alive in our world and God's justice rolling down like a mighty stream. Reverend Yolanda Norton helped us think just last week about how we might be participating in that and how we could stop the pursuit. Reverend Ananda Barkley encouraged us to consider and join our ancestors who have engaged in the work of dismantling those systems 
And then we faced climate emergency. We said true things about the destruction that we have wrought on this planet, and we thought about how we experience God present with us in our groaning, and how we find deeper connection in that groaning. God, us, all creation groaning, and we find there in that groaning the work that is ours to do. And because epiphanies can be exhausting, so much to take in, we also sat for a while with Elijah in a cave. When our get up and go had got up and went, and we experienced God's always providing, always renewing love in a still, small voice. We have traveled through epiphany with each other, and with the Magi, and with Elijah, and Moses, and the disciples, and we end up here. What began as a star in the sky has moved on out through the generations across distance and time through the wilderness into a cave and back out again through parted waters. And it all ends up here on this high mountain with his disciples and Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And there's a lot to take in. So much to wonder. Let's just notice a few things. First, we can't help but notice all the light, dazzling light everywhere we look, radiating out, radiating out from Jesus' face, shimmering in his clothes and blinding them from a cloud. Something is happening here. Up till now, they've been living daily, ordinary life with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are on the road with Jesus, going where he goes. Jesus has been teaching. They've been learning. Jesus asks questions. Sometimes Peter gets the answer right. Sometimes he doesn't. Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, well done. But then Jesus immediately starts talking about he, how he, the Christ, will suffer and die. And Peter says, no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Just before this story of transfiguration, we are left with this question. Jesus is the Christ. But what does that mean? And Jesus takes the three of them up on a high mountain, and there's all this dazzling light. Jesus is transfigured. His face and his clothes radiate light. A bright cloud overshadows them. A voice says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. All this light, the glint and gleam and glimmer and the voice, all of this confirms that there is something divine here. Something of God in Jesus. God's own son, the Christ, what we glimpse is the dazzling divinity of Jesus right there in the midst of them. And notice how Peter responds. Jesus, it is good for us to be here. In the incandescence of this moment, light beyond what the eye can take in, truth beyond what human heart can grasp, Peter gets this. It is good for us to be here. And so he offers to set up some dwelling tents. Now, some people give Peter a hard time about this, as if he's fumbling around not knowing what to do. Oh, let's set up some tents. But these, these are tabernacle tents, like the tent where the presence of Yahweh dwelt with the people in the wilderness. Peter gets that God is present in the midst of them, that this is holy, and that it is good for us to be here. May we have that good sense when we stand dazed and confused in the presence of God, when we wonder. First, may it sink in with us. It is good for us to be here.
because we've had moments like that, our moments of wonder, and they may be different for each of us. Those moments that bring us into that holy wow. For many of us, I expect that we experience that out in nature, standing on the ocean's edge. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the full moon that had filled the night sky, and I heard some gasps because you all had seen it too. And just this week, now that the moon has waned, I walked outside and because the sky was so dark, it was lit up by brilliant stars, the deep darkness of the night with the sparkle of stars. Wow, it is good for us to be here. Maybe we've experienced this wonder in each other. I'm not a parent, but I can't imagine the wonder for a parent when they place a newborn baby in your arms. Maybe you've experienced wonder in, maybe we've experienced wonder in each other in moments of service, serving in the rest shelter, when everyone settles in at the table to share a meal. In a world gone so wrong, we get a glimpse of something that is just a little bit more right. We experience wonder in music and in art, beauty alive and embodied in the creative human spirit, and we wonder at it. And maybe, maybe we've experienced that wonder, that presence of God in visions and in dreams, bright visions like this transfiguration scene, because I don't want to over-rationalize this. We're all different, and we experience God in different ways, some of us in mystic ways throughout Scripture. History and throughout Scripture and through history, folks have had direct experiences of God, mysterious but vivid and real nonetheless. And so we wonder with Peter at God in the midst of us, as Peter says, it is good for us to be here. And I want us to notice one more thing. After all this light, After they see Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus, after the voice sounds from heaven, they fall face down to the ground, terrified, and Jesus comes to them, and Jesus touches them. And when they look up, they see Jesus himself alone, his hand on their shoulder. What they see is the dazzling humanity of Jesus. The presence of God in the midst of them, in a tender touch. And we know what that's like too. That kind of epiphany. I can still remember all these years later, a night when I was a child and sick with the flu and my mother placed a cold, wet cloth on my fevered brow. Maybe you have held a hand and that touch has conveyed so much love, more love than words could ever express. Or maybe when you were most broken, when your heart hurt, someone has rested their hand on your back just between your shoulder blades and sat there with you in steadfast, loving quiet. After the flash, 
And blaze of all that dazzling light, Jesus comes to them and touches them, and they look up, and what they see is Jesus himself alone, his hand resting on their shoulder. It's not that all the light has disappeared. It's not that all the divinity, all the stuff of God has gone away. It's that all that is now present in Jesus Christ, in his hand on their shoulder. What began with a star in the sky is now all there in the sparkle of this tender touch. God manifests in the midst of them like that. God is so very big. God's love for us so vast, the world so much more than we could ever comprehend. And God is near. One writer puts it this way. What we find in Jesus and in each other is just as much of God as a hand can hold. That's really all I have to say this morning. We've called this epiphany series the work of wonder, and each week we've talked about the experience of wonder and how in it we find the work that is ours to do. So... And we say that because worship should always, always give us something to do. And this week, this week, the invitation is to wonder. If you want, you can take your bulletin and in that space at the very bottom that says something to do, you can just write that one word, wonder. Go out into the world and look and listen for the presence of God anywhere and everywhere in sunrise and sunset in the dimming of the day in the deep dark of night, wonder. Wonder at God manifest in the midst of us, justice rolling down like a mighty stream, in compassion that comes to us in the whisper of a still, small voice, wonder. And while you move through the world in wonder, take some time to be dazzlingly human. Offer to the world a tender touch. Radiate to the world God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Carry to the world in your hand just as much of God as a hand can hold.